This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Today's episode is presented by Lloyd's Banking Group. Everyone deserves a safe place to call home. That's why Lloyd's Banking Group has championed the social housing sector for decades, supporting more than 340 housing associations across the UK. So what do you think of when you think of Sweden? ABBA. IKEA. What else? The welfare state. Yeah, social democracy. Free childcare. Greta Thunberg. Ah, yes. Greta. Vikings. Vikings, yeah, good one, good one. Excellent. Missed that. I'm Suzanne Lynch, Political's Chief Brussels Correspondent. But this week, I've traded the EU quarter for the idyllic streets of Stockholm in Sweden. We're here to learn more about the country, which has just taken over the presidency of the Council of the EU. We'll explain all that later in the podcast about what Sweden hopes to achieve at the EU level. And you'll hear from the Prime Minister, Ulf Christensen. It's a tough job, of course, basic and not tough for us, but tough for Europe in the sense that everybody realises that we are tackling a combination of different crises at the same time. As well as other ministers and officials. But first, let's dive into the country itself, Sweden. Long known as a bastion of liberal values, anchored in a strong welfare state and progressive politics, it's been grappling with a range of issues of late, like migration. The Swedish government, we intend to make a big shift in migration policy. One of their key goals is to make life as bad as possible for immigrants. Violence. Deaths by shooting in Sweden are up by a third, 2022 versus 2021, which is a serious increase. So the problem is real. Climate change. As we all can see here, Sweden is a renewable energy pioneer. All of which we'll explore today. So sit back as our EU Confidential crew takes you on a journey to learn more about this fascinating Nordic country. Global warming and water level changing and stuff, they're having to really think quite deeply about how to manage this. This is Charlie Duxbury, political Stockholm correspondent. We're making our way over to the Swedish parliament in the centre of the old town. It's nice and warm. Yeah, and they're going to let us wander around freely, which I didn't know whether they would or not. That's very Swedish. Yeah, so we've got the badges, we're good to go. So, Charlie, here we are in the Parliament, uh, where the business estate happens. It's a fabulous kind of modern but like neoclassical building sitting on the water. I think that's the palace, is it, of the king we can see over here? That's right, Suzanne. Yep, the king's palace is, is right on the doorstep here. We're sitting here on the next to the, the parliamentary chamber. Great views of, uh, of yeah. the old town. Listen... 
talk us through Sweden. It's one of the 27 EU countries. It joined the European Union back in 1995. So, you know, relatively late, I suppose. So, Charlie, you've been covering uh, this country for quite some time. How would you characterize Sweden and Swedish politics? So I guess for many of the listeners, when you think of Sweden, you think of you know, social democracy, and that, and that would be right. Over the last century, the Social Democrats have dominated politics here. Over the last decade or so, power has passed between the centre-right and centre-left. Um, but then more recently, the far-right Sweden Democrats have um, have really started to exert a greater influence on politics. And at the most recent election in September 2022, they secured their, their best ever uh, showing. What was the outcome? So it was very close. That's Sweden's election where a right-wing bloc have a razor-thin lead over the left-leaning uh, governing coalition. There's almost The centre-left government of uh, the Social Democrats lost power to a minority coalition, a centre-right coalition under Ulf Kristersson. But in order to secure the votes he needs in Parliament. He needs the support of the far-right Sweden Democrats. If the Conservative bloc wins, the anti-immigration Sweden Democrats could become part of government for the first time. So, um, over the weeks which followed the election, the three governing parties in the Sweden Democrats sat down and hashed out an extensive agreement in a whole range of policy areas which will see the government coordinate with the far-right party to reach a kind of common position and get policy, mm. get policy done. So the rise of the Swedish Democrats um, has been something that has caused concern for a lot of people uh, in Brussels. Explain a bit about this party, where it's come from and, and why it's become so popular. So I think a lot of the concern about them stems from the fact that their roots are with neo-Nazi groups who are operating in Stockholm and in Sweden generally in the 1990s. And the party leadership today joined the Sweden Democrats during that era. So they've they face a lot of questions about kind of how closely aligned their thinking is these days with that with that extreme thinking from the from the nineties. Over recent decades they've kind of they entered the parliament in twenty ten and they've they've become more and more popular since then. Um, I would say that the turning point for them was 2015 and the, the migration crisis in Europe, where they emerged as a very critical voice of the government's policy. And I think voters looked at what they were saying and there was a certain sympathy with their messaging. And that has given them a strong platform to kind of do as well as they have um, in the most recent election. So Sweden over, I mean, from about sort of 2008 onwards, had a very liberal immigration policy. It allowed large numbers of people into the country. So uh, during the European migration crisis 2015, Sweden took the most migrants per capita of any country in Europe. It was uh, around 165,000 people entered the, the country, which has a population of about 10 million. The criticism of that policy was that not enough was done to kind of integrate them into society over the years which followed. And what the Sweden Democrats were saying and what they were calling for was a policy which would cut asylum-related immigration to basically zero and not allow virtually, allow virtually no refugees into the country, which when they first tabled it was seen as a very extreme position, but the Social Democrat government kind of moved closer to that following 2015. And then the current government of Ulf Kristersson has basically copied that messaging from the, the Sweden Democrats. Migration is an issue we explored further during our time in Stockholm. Hi, very nice to meet you, Minister. Nice Thanks you, for sir. joining us. Thank you very much. We sat down with the person responsible for devising the country's migration policy, Migration Minister Maria Malmer-Stenergaard, in her ministerial office in downtown Stockholm. 
Well, for several uh, years, almost decades, Sweden has had a huge number of migrants and uh, many more have come to Sweden compared to our neighboring countries. So, for instance, during the 10 last years, Sweden has had twice as many asylum seekers as our neighboring countries together. In 2015, which was an extreme year for Europe, but an even more extreme year for Sweden, we had 163,000 asylum seekers. We were definitely number one in the European Union. Uh, One third of all unaccompanied minors who seeked asylum that year did that in Sweden. And due to that large influx of migrants and a complete lack of thoughts on how to manage integration, we are now struggling with huge problems in society in several areas, like I mentioned, school, crime, uh, housing, uh, segregation. Okay. Um, Could you as well... As she explains, the government, which includes her own moderate party, has signed an agreement with the Sweden Democrats, which covers migration in detail. Definitely. So we are three parties in government and we are cooperating with the Sweden Democrats and together we have an agreement and uh, a big part of that agreement covers migration. And uh, we have agreed upon at least looking into many different uh, aspects of migration. Among the changes they are proposing? Stricter rules for, for citizenship. A minimum level uh, on uh, asylum, immigration rules. So that will probably uh, affect uh, family reunification, for instance. And also, like I said, the rights to different public benefits. So in in several areas, we are going to adopt stricter rules uh, after having, of course, in a Swedish tradition, uh, had inquiries looking into how this is legally going to be well formed. But others in Sweden are concerned about this right-wing tilt. This is Green lawmaker Annika Hervonen, a member of Parliament and the Green Party's spokesperson on migration. Well, uh, we now have the most nationalistic and conservative government that Sweden has seen in modern times. And one of their key uh, goals is to... um, make life as bad as possible for immigrants so that asylum seekers and uh, other immigrants will not want to come to Sweden. She also accuses the coalition government of effectively enabling the far-right Sweden Democrats. It's a party that has been gaining influence essentially by other parties' willingness to adapt to their agenda, to their rhetorics and even to this very populist way of handing out impossible promises. I think it's been in the chase of the voters. So instead of taking the fight for democratic values against racism and for human rights, the parties have step by step adapted to their agenda. This has only strengthened them. We put this to Maria Malmer-Stenergaard, the migration minister. I would say that a large amount of the policy that we are going to put forward is also policy that my party has stood behind for several years. But it, it's, it's of course, it's not a secret that the Sweden Democrats, that their main issue is migration and that they have played a important part in in the negotiations coming up to this agreement. But 
I would say that the four parties behind this government are all agreeing that we need to decrease migration in order to make integration work. And now we are four parties willing to take responsibility, which the uh, former government wasn't willing to do. As the government prepares to introduce tough new migration measures, many of those working at the front line believe that the matter is far from settled and that the government will face significant resistance, including from members of civic society. Here's Tobias Losse, CEO of the NGO Refugees Welcome Sweden. He points out that many professionals, doctors for example, or even teachers, may face new restrictions on interacting with migrants who lack required paperwork. And this is creating a, a like a big gap right now in, in society in Sweden because doctors, social workers or teachers are not tolerating that because they have a, a greater scheme of their like profession. So uh, there will be a like a, a issue with um, civil, what they call like... Um, responsibility or they have a moral imperative to help these people. Yeah, 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 and uh, people will not obey to this. I think uh, the professionals will not obey to this uh, new line of the government if it will be reality. So we're facing big issues in front of us. As well as migration, another issue that featured in the recent election was crime. Here's Charlie Duxbury again. The Sweden Democrats and Ulf Christensen and the Moderate Party, uh, which now leads Sweden, they focused extensively on crime and they said that the previous government of the Social Democrats and Prime Minister Magdalena Andersson had failed to tackle crime. What the Sweden Democrats have sought to do is link crime to migration and there's been a heated debate about that within Swedish politics about whether that's a correct connection to make. But what is beyond doubt is that Sweden has seen an epidemic of gang-related violence in some of its poorest suburbs around the three major cities of Gothenburg, Malmö and here in Stockholm. And over Christmas and New Year, you saw a serious escalation in a number of, of gang conflicts, which experts say have their roots in competition for control of drugs markets, which have then kind of escalated into personal feuds between individuals within gangs who were former colleagues within the gang who formed new gangs. And it's kind of a rolling crisis that Sweden has seen. And now the Prime Minister of Christensen says that he has the formula that needed to kind of get on top of this. But when you look at the opinion polling, voters are already starting to doubt whether his pre-election promises can be fulfilled and it will be an extremely important couple of months coming up for Ulf Christensen as he assumes the presidency of the EU at the same time to kind of get a grip on this and show voters that that he has the answers to this crisis. So has crime increased? Uh, are the statistics there or is this something that certain parties are trying to kind of stir up as a way of, of getting more support, getting more votes? If you look at the statistics for crime as a whole, I think there there are some certain types of crime. I think kind of house break-ins and things like this are falling. But if you look at specific types of crime, like gun-related um, homicides in big cities, that definitely increased. Deaths by shooting in Sweden are up by a third, 2022 versus 2021, which is a serious increase. Um, so the problem is real. But what this looks like for people who are living in cities like Stockholm is that, you know, you could be out, you know, having a meal in a restaurant with you, with your family and, and bullets could come flying through the window and you could be out with your children in a play park and your child could be hit by a stray bullet as gangs face off in these suburban areas. And, and that there have been a number of those types of incidents which have really shocked 
people here. And for example, in the lead up to the election, um, I visited a town called Eskilstuna, which is about an hour and a half's train ride from here. Visited a play park where a child was accidentally shot by rival gangs. Spoke to a mother there who was out playing with her child and, and she was petrified that, you know, something similar could happen as we talked there. And I noticed that she was, you know, within a couple of minutes, she wanted to kind of shoo her child away from from the spot where the incident happened. And otherwise it was completely quiet there as, you know, there's a community in fear. So we're going to head, we're going to get the tram now to Vellingby. That's a suburb west of central Stockholm, um, which has seen quite an uptick in crime. Tell us a bit more about that, Charlie. Yeah, so... Vellingby has seen um, quite serious problems with gang crime. Uh, most recently, on New Year's Eve, there was an incident outside a McDonald's restaurant in the shopping centre there where three people were shot, one of whom died, as people ate their meals metres away from where this was happening. Okay, so here we are in Vellingby Centrum, which is the, uh, the shopping element of this suburb, which was built to, to give people housing, shopping and uh, somewhere to work in the 1950s. It's, so a kind of a model community kind was, of idea? It was, yeah, it was a model community back in the day. It was seen as a kind of an alternative to city centre living where some of the accommodation there was kind of slum-like. So this was, was built as an alternative to that where you've got your own apartment with uh, your own kitchen, probably for the f- sometimes for the first time with electricity and running water. Um, and it was seen as a real step up for a lot of families who wanted to get away from the kind of grimy city centre environment. And here, as you can see, there's a beautiful cinema there from still with the 1950s, sort of 60s oh, yeah. signage. Lots of interesting architecture on some of the, the buildings, which kind of maybe look sort of normal today but at the time were really groundbreaking with the kind of novel design of the windows lots of glass that wasn't really typical maybe then um but the struggle for the community has been kind of you know keeping up the momentum over over recent decades as uh there have been a sort of struggle with social problems and poverty in some corners of, of this area and now and now violent crime has kind of emerged as a is the latest serious challenge for the authorities here So here's the spot. Can you see the memorial there? Oh wow, that's pretty. That's pretty moving. We're standing here outside McDonald's, and there is just a sea of flowers and candles, plants. I see some roses there left at the site of this attack. Tell us more about it, Charlie. Yeah. So on New Year's Eve, three men were were here outside McDonald's, and were were shot. One of the men later died. Two were injured. Uh, it's really shocked the community here. This is obviously a spot. Um, the kind of restaurant where, as we, even as we can see today, there are, there are families eating here and who will have witnessed what happened. Yeah, it's pretty shocking to yeah. see this site. And there are some photos too of one of the victims of the shooting. Yeah, and his name spelt out in the uh, in the candles here, and oh, messages yes. from people written on the on the candles to kind yeah, of pass on their sympathies to the family of, of the deceased. Um, so it's a mix of sort of the personal grief of the family, but also the wider shock in the community that. In such an everyday spot, you know, such violence can be wrought. Has this really refocused attention on the issue of crime and how to deal with crime? Yeah, so ahead of the election in September, both sides agreed that this was a a big challenge facing the the country and they tried to kind of articulate what they would do to combat it. So the the left-leaning parties maybe put slightly more of a focus on handling the sort of social problems, which they say are the root of some of this criminality, while the centre-right and far-right were more focused on punishing the criminals, cracking down on them, locking them away. 
And that's what we've seen now when the, the centre-right under Ulf Christensen, the new Prime Minister, has taken over. His focus is very much on longer jail sentences, uh, trying to deter criminals from joining these groups. Um, also, he's got an idea about a kind of stop and search where in certain places at certain times police will get new powers to sort of search people for guns and explosives and drugs even when they're not suspected of a crime which is now being reviewed because obviously that will have you know impacts on people's existing freedoms yeah pretty controversial policy decision has there been much kickback on that yeah i mean the opposition um, parties in parliament particularly the Green Party, but also a voice from the Social Democrats are saying that this could be a step too far. It's, a, it's an idea that's been looked at before and rejected, but maybe the government feels that it's an idea that's, that's now, now needed. So that's some of the challenges that are facing Sweden at the moment. But the country is also hugely progressive when it comes to some other issues. For example, climate change. Renewables will make up half of the country's energy mix by the end of the decade. Sweden aims to reach climate neutrality by 2045. That's five years ahead of the 2050 target outlined by the EU. And of course, we all know Greta Thunberg, the climate activist. She is a Swede and has been to the forefront in highlighting this as a global issue. Charlie, how big is climate change and environmentalism as a political issue in Sweden? I think it's fair to say that Sweden's definitely been seen as a as a leader when it comes to combating climate change. And Ursula von der Leyen, when she was here a few months ago, kind of highlighted the targets that Sweden has as as ambitious and something that she welcomes. And she clearly saw Sweden as a kind of leader in this area. As we all can see here, Sweden is a renewable energy pioneer. Renewables are bound to make up half of your country's energy mix by the end of the decade. That's amazing. So we have to learn a lot from you in this green transition. And as you say, Greta Thunberg has been sitting outside this parliament building, you know, on a regular basis, many Fridays over recent years, and has you know lifted the the issue to the forefront here in the debate. And um, she wasn't taken seriously in the beginning when she started her her school strikes, but very much taken seriously these days. What about the new government? Is, are there any concerns about a change in strategy now with this more right wing government? Well, if you ask the government, they will say that they remain committed to the targets Sweden has and that they take this extremely seriously. Um, they have taken a few concrete steps which critics might say tell a different story. For example, they have moved the Department for the Environment under the leadership of the Economy Ministry, which some say suggests that they're not taking it as seriously as maybe the previous government did. But it rem- remains to be seen. Definitely the government's talking the talk, but it they have been criticised for not taking it as seriously as previously. Thanks, Charlie, for all that. We're going to take a quick break, but when we're back, we're going to look into more of the EU presidency priorities for Sweden with Charlie here in Parliament. And we'll also hear from Swedish Prime Minister Ulf Kristersson. Stay with us. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A message from Lloyd's Banking Group. 
Lloyd's Banking Group has championed social housing for decades. It provides finance, expertise and guidance to more than 340 housing associations across the UK. These range from small local associations of several hundred homes to much larger regional associations responsible for tens of thousands of properties. Each has an important role to play in their community to help people find a safe place to call home. Improving access to quality and affordable homes is central to Lloyds Banking Group's commitment to helping Britain prosper. That's why Lloyds Banking Group is calling for one million more homes to be made available for social rent over the next decade. Welcome back. We're here at the Swedish Parliament where we're now going to look a bit more at Sweden's priorities over the next six months. And we'll hear from Swedish Prime Minister Ulf Christensen. Now, first of all, if you don't understand what the presidency of the Council of the EU is, don't worry, a lot of people don't either. Sweden is taking over the EU presidency, the European Union. Do you know anything about that? Uh, no, I don't. I don't really keep in track with that. So, yeah. You haven't heard about it? Not so much. I mean, like, a little bit, but not so much. Do you, do you know about that? Yeah, a little. A little. Uh, <laughs> um, I want to know. Just a quick explainer. Every six months, an EU country takes the reins at the Council of the EU. Now, that's the part of the EU which coordinates policy among the 27 EU member states. So this can affect everything from economics and financial services to defence policy, climate change, energy. And the job of the country that's in the hot seat is to plan and coordinate meetings in Brussels and run these meetings of EU diplomats or ministers that take place in Brussels throughout their six-month stint. So every six months when a new country takes the helm, we hear lots about how they're going to be an honest broker, that their job is just one of a facilitator. But in reality, every country has its own priorities. And of course, decisions and policies are always driven by the context, what's happening in the world and what's happening in the EU. So, Charlie, let's talk a bit about the Swedish presidency. We're, we have a few tour groups coming by here. Things are, are waking up here at the parliament, about to go into the chamber now for their tour. But look, some of the priorities that the Swedish government are talking about, first and foremost, has to be security and defence. That's definitely been the focus of a lot of the um, the speeches that Ulf Christensen has made as uh, Sweden has taken over the presidency. Lots of focus on Ukraine and what Europe should be doing uh, to support Ukraine. Um, that's definitely been kind of the, the main focus. Yeah. I mean, one of the big issues, I mean, during their six months, for example, we're going to have the one year anniversary of the start of the war in Ukraine. And already the EU has committed 18 billion euro uh, for Ukraine next year. So no doubt ensuring that 18 billion is fine tuned, is delivered, is going to be a big priority for Sweden over the next six months. Here's Ulf Christensen, the Swedish prime minister. So we will first and foremost maintain this EU support for Ukraine in all terms because Ukrainian victory in this war is existential for other European countries as well. I think that the unity in Europe and the unity between Europe and the US is and will remain the greatest asset during the presidency. So the other big issue for Sweden as a country is its application to join NATO. Along with Finland, it has applied to join the bloc, but there are some holdouts. 
That's right. So the two NATO members who've yet to approve those two applications are Hungary and Turkey. Now, Prime Minister Christensen had indicated last week that Sweden would be unable to meet some of the demands that Turkey was making, though he did move to clarify that this week, telling journalists in Stockholm that this had been a misunderstanding. Well, thank you. I think there was mainly a misunderstanding. What I did say was basically that uh, we are proceeding in in a very good way. On the trilateral memorandum we have, Sweden, Finland and uh, Turkey, as you know. And that that is going very well. Here's Swedish Foreign Minister Tobias Bildström speaking on Wednesday. Yes, it is true that we are still awaiting the time when uh, uh, the ratification process uh, in uh, Turkey will commence. But uh, as our Prime Minister stated the other day, and also myself as Foreign Minister... We are reaching a point now where we can see that Sweden and Finland has done what we said that we would do in the memorandum which was signed trilaterally at the summit in Madrid last year. So we have delivered, we are continuing to deliver, and we believe that the point will soon be here when, or the time will soon be here, when uh, the Turkish parliament should commence. As you can hear, they're pretty confident that ultimately Turkey will move to ratify its NATO application. Another priority for the Swedish presidency, which will be a huge issue on its agenda over the next few months, is the whole area of economics and trade. Uh, The EU is going to be formulating its response to America's move to introduce this Inflation Reduction Act, that signature piece of legislation introduced by the Biden administration, which has caused all kinds of headaches for the EU, with France in particular and other countries accusing the US of protectionism. Sweden has long been one of the biggest advocates for free market economics within the EU, often grouped with other like-minded liberal economies. Here's Ulf Christensen, the Prime Minister, again. And the more we do in the short term, the more long-term kind of commitment do we need to have as well. And my message have, has been and will be, let us try to find unity in how to tackle the IRA challenge in the short term but let us not in the short term do things that we actually believe are bad for European competitiveness in the long term. What other issues are the Swedes trying to highlight in the next few months? Um, I I think one of the issues I've seen them highlight is uh, the issue of space. Space as in outer space? I guess so, yes. (laughs) I mean this week actually the European commissioners and Ursula von der Leyen, the commission president, are visiting uh, northern Sweden, uh, in a town called Karuna. That's about 200 kilometres north of the Arctic Circle. And they're there to visit this space centre, the S-Range Space Centre. That's right, yeah. Northern Sweden is a bit of a sort of centre for space exploration within Europe. And the S-Range base is, uh, I know, according to the Swedes, an area that they would like to see kind of developed further. Mm, they're, they're talking about it being helping to bolster the EU space capabilities, becoming a key hub for the launch of satellites in space. And I suppose casting this as part of the whole conversation about European security and defence. Yes, that, that would make sense. I mean, certainly northern Sweden is, is a, an excellent place to launch various types of spacecraft into space. And I, I believe it will be a priority for Sweden to try and push that message during its presidency. Yeah, and of course, it's one of the few countries there with that presence in the Arctic, in the greater Arctic region, which we know geopolitically is becoming quite an interesting uh, space, a geopolitical space at the moment, particularly in light of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. 
Another topic on the agenda over the next few months at an EU level is migration. We've discussed that earlier in the podcast and that issue will be on the agenda for the Swedes. Now, they have said they don't expect to finalise the EU's asylum and migration pact, but they do want to make progress over the next six months or so. And I mean, I suppose... There are some suspicions or concerns that this new, more right-wing government will will stop, will hinder progress on that. Certainly questions have been raised about, you know, whether the new government taking power has changed kind of Sweden's position on on migration. As you say, they, they say that they remain ambitious about moving the file forward. And it's worth noting here that the, the commissioner in charge at European level is Ulva Johansson, who is a Swede from the Social Democrats, the, the party which were in power before. So she's she offers sort of a certain level of continuity on the Swedish position. Uh, yes, of course, Charlie, a good point there. Also, I suppose we do need to mention the green transition. We've spoken about the uh, Sweden's strong track record when it comes to environmentalism and the fight against climate change. So we do expect to see progress on those Fit for 55 files. That's the EU's grand plan uh, on climate change over the next six months. Okay, Charlie, well, look, thank you very much for showing us around Stockholm. It's been a fabulous couple of days here recording the EU Confidential podcast. Uh, Now, it's a bit of a pity about the weather. It's been quite hazy, quite rainy. And actually, you know what? A few minutes ago, I had a brainwave. Maybe Christina, my podcast producer, has been doing all the work behind the scenes. Christina, what do you think we could come back here during the summer? Let's do it. Sunshine. Yeah. In July, six months on and see how the Swedes have performed. And uh, Charlie, you could show us around when the days are long and the nights are short and it's a little bit warmer. Sounds like a great idea. <laughs> Next week, we'll also be on the road. We'll be coming to you from Davos, the World Economic Forum, which brings together the great and the good, politicians, business people, high-profile figures from the corporate world, and, of course, a team of journalists from across the world Our Politico team will be there, we'll be on the ground and we'll be broadcasting each day from Davos, bringing you a podcast from Monday to Thursday. So be sure to tune in and watch in your feeds for that. With that, thanks as always for joining us on EU Confidential. Thanks in particular to Charlie Duxbury, Politico Stockholm correspondent, to our executive producer for audio, Christina Gonzalez, who's been making it all happen here in Stockholm and to our editor, James Randerson in Brussels. Thank you and thanks for listening. Or as they say in Swedish, Tack så mycket. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.